0: Welcome to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. So we have a certain archetype of what prophets are supposed to look like. We think loud, passionate, uh, perhaps some bad hygiene, and maybe throw in a strange behavior or a strange act for good measure. They tend to put on dramatic displays to reveal God's word to a stubborn people. The the Gospels love to make John the object of prophetic power, and there's good reason. He has a strange presence about him. He eats locusts. He lives out in the woods. He's closely related to the real Messiah. Most of all, he makes his thoughts crystal clear regarding the person of Jesus. But what if I told you there are other prophets that we don't typically think of as prophets in the gospels? Last week, Beth laid out a great example of one in Mary, the mother of Jesus. And this week, we're gonna look at two other prophets. And these two prophets didn't eat a scroll or lay on their side for a year. They didn't even dramatically take a stand uh, against a ruling power or face death for what they said. Instead, these two prophets, an old man named Simeon and an old woman named Anna, simply hold a baby and sing a song. This song, which the church calls the Nunc Dimittis, foretells the unification of Israel and the gentiles and before i spoil any other details let's get into the text we are in luke chapter 2 verses 22 through 38 and it begins by saying when the time came for their purification according to the law of moses they brought jesus up to jerusalem to present him to the lord they being mary and joseph as it is written in the law of the lord every firstborn male should be designated as holy to the lord and they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout and looking forward to the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death for he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And guided by the the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, you are now dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And when the child's father and mother were at and the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about them, then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, "This child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed." And a sword will pierce your own soul, too. Now, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem, friends, this is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, there's two significant cultural moments that I attach to this passage. Uh, they first popped in my head when I saw this in the lectionary, and uh, I feel like I need to mention them at the outset. The first happened in 1669. Uh, Strange year, Rembrandt painted his final portrait. He chose to make it a depiction of this passage. Now, he had painted about Simeon and Anna and Jesus before, but he wanted to go back to it for his last one. And it's called Simeon's Song of Praise. And what the painting shows is an old Simeon who appears to be losing his sight, laying his hands on the baby Christ. A dim light comes in from the right side of the frame. Perhaps it's a subtle reminder of just who Simeon is holding in his hands. If you have a chance today, I encourage you to Google this photo and see it for yourself. The other moment happened much later, 300 years later, in the mid 1960s. Uh, the acclaimed jazz musician, John Coltrane, had a near fatal drug overdose and then had what he calls a divine appointment with God. Out of this divine appointment came his piece titled A Love Supreme, which is critically one of Coltrane's most acclaimed works. Uh, He only performed it a handful of times, and the final time he performed it live, he went up and played the piece and brought the house down, and there was applause for minutes. People were floored, and once the applause died down, John Coltrane said two words. He said, nunc dimittis. Now, nunc dimittis is a Latin phrase, and it's uh, it's a rendering of the of what Simeon says in his song when he says, "Master, you have dismissed your servant in peace." Uh, it basically means I can die happy now. And that makes me think: How many times did Simeon hang around the temple, waiting and looking for the one that would bring hope and liberation to his people? It's not unlike many of us. Perhaps it's why you come to church, or you attend those community meetings that go nowhere, or you volunteer at that organization for hours a week. We are all waiting for our nunc dimittis moment. We all have those longings. Many of us are also like Simeon and Anna in that we're not prophetic superheroes. Uh, our work is often subtle and unseen and messy. And that's why I'm captivated by this passage because the Bible isn't just a movement of big people and big moments. It takes time to tell quiet and subtle stories like this. Uh, the reality is that we don't always have the platform of Samuel or Jeremiah. For many of us, God didn't commission our call with a burning bush. We're just sort of here and waiting. And while we're waiting for the nunc dimittis moment, we are working. That's Simeon and Anna, showing up expecting hope for Israel while working and living in their present world. It's clear from the text that these were people who had been waiting a long time for change. The elation they feel isn't a momentary feeling like the feeling I get when I get an ice cream cone at Brewster's, it's it's the actualization of years of waiting for a true hope for their people and to the gentiles interestingly enough but while this text is a text of hope it's also a text that warns us it's also one of the first signs of trouble in luke's gospel see these hopeful words we use to speak about christ these words like uh liberation of the oppressed and freedom of the captive and love of the neighbor are not useless talking points in Luke's gospel. They, they carry with them large responsibilities for those who read it and choose to follow it. In other words, what I'm saying is this passage is relentlessly political for its time. The hope that Simeon and Anna possess is not abstract theology in the sky. It's, It's embodied and it's real and it has real implications. And I think that's why Simeon uses the opportunity to say to Mary that her soul will be pierced too. See, he claims that Jesus carries a sign that will be opposed. In other words, the one who will bring unification to Israel and a light to the Gentiles will face great opposition. And this will hurt those that are close to him as well. Simeon seems to know the price of standing up. And I'm going to say that that knowledge doesn't come from some divine revelation on high. I think that sort of knowledge, the one that knows this kind of thing faces opposition, that sort of knowledge comes from a long life of witnessing what happens to those who speak truth to power. It turns out Simeon was right he's right in a way that he probably couldn't have fathomed today this person of jesus is one of the most divisive figures in our world and this passage is a reminder to those who orient their lives around this christ that the way he will trailblaze is not an easy road by any means those that bear the sign of grace and peace are not the ones get guaranteed a safe passage on the road that sign brings opposition and that opposition isn't faced because we simply call ourselves christians or we wear a cross or we have a certain bumper sticker or we listen to a certain type of music or even because we come to a church virtually or in person on sunday i'm i think that kind of opposition comes from embodying these teachings of jesus Try doing what Jesus teaches in his parables. Pay someone beyond what people say they're owed. Forgive unconditionally. Show favor to the marginalized, and you will begin to know this opposition. Those acts, the subtle ones, the unpopular ones, the illogical ones, those are the acts that bring opposition. And this is the tricky business of the faith that we adhere to, or at least the faith I adhere to. It both comforts us and it confronts us. See, so you, you are called beloved by God. That is the good news. And it's a treasure of immense value and worth. But anything good, anything good, whether it's good food, good music, or God's grace is not meant to be hoarded in our proverbial storehouses. It's meant to be embodied, and it's meant to be lived out. So this word of hope from Simeon and Anna is attached to a word of caution. There's a warning label with this faith. Walking in this way gets you into some trouble. We know that. And maybe at the end of your road, you can be like Simeon or Anna, and you can say nunc diminis, or maybe you won't. Either way, know that the way of Christ, and some call it the way of the cross for a reason, though difficult and challenging, is the road we are compelled to walk down as Christians. You could say it's a sign that will be opposed. But it doesn't stop there, because the hope of our faith is that the kingdom that we expectantly pray to come in the Lord's Prayer every Sunday, is a sign that cannot be opposed by any earthly power. See, the good news here is that Jesus didn't simply come to offend and to challenge. I mean, what what does Simeon say here? And why is Anna rejoicing? They say this child will be the falling and the rising of many. Not the fall of some and the rise of others, but the falling and the rising of many, the falling and the rising of many. See, Jesus doesn't meet the opposition with an iron fist. In fact, he turns the other cheek and he suffers and he dies. He dies because this message was scandalous. And even as he's dying, he's forgiving. He ultimately overcomes death and promises us a future with god and a new heaven and a new earth see while christ's earthly my earthly life was met with opposition from religious and political elites the kingdom that is to come that is a sign that cannot be opposed so are you like me are you wondering why rembrandt chose that that story to paint as his last one? Or why Coltrane alludes to it in his last live performance? Well, I think it's because at the end of one's life or in the middle of one's life, and even at the beginning of one's life, Simeon, Rembrandt, and Coltrane, and Anna knew that God's presence, justice, and forgiveness is everything. the struggle that Simeon and Anna see in the future of Jesus does not negate the joy they feel in the present. So may what is true for them be true for you and I also. Christ is here. Even in the darkness that was 2020, Christ is here where viruses and injustice roar, Christ is here. Christ is here in the midst of all of this. Friends, Christ is here. Amen.